Okay, um, rewind a little bit, a little bit about me, so you know, yeah, who's talking to you. So, I've been married 19 years uh, to my lovely wife, Hannah. We have five children, and so today was the first day of school for all five children. So, it was a big day. I had to miss it, but I've got pictures from the first day of school here. So I've got a junior in high school, a freshman in high school, sixth grader, fifth grader, kindergartner, okay? So we've got five, we've got full house, pretty full. Um, But we have been, the things we're talking about tonight, uh, my wife and I have been leading, helping lead communities like this for many years. So we've lived in San Diego for the last four years. We lived in Tacoma for nine years, we were part of a church there called Soma. Before that, we lived in Eastern Europe, and we actually did these things there. I lived in the Czech Republic for seven years, and Romania for four years. And so, part of my job now is helping churches. I spend about 60% of my time helping churches internationally plant and strengthen and multiply missional communities. So, in a normal week for me, I would be on calls with churches in South Africa and Korea and Poland. I was on a call with 180 Russian leaders um, a month or so ago. But the cool thing is, and to encourage you, these churches and these very normal people all over the world um, have felt called to live in this same way, to follow Jesus in this way of making disciples in the context of communities that live intentionally together on mission, whether they have five kids or no kids, (laughs) whether they're married or single, whether they're young or old. So I can tell you some cool stories of 70-year-old Russian women in Volgograd, Russia, that are trying to figure all this stuff out because they feel called by Jesus to love their neighbors, make disciples, live on mission together um, in Volgograd, Russia. So I've seen it with older people, I've seen it with students, with teenagers. Um, I've been working in Eastern Europe for about 25 years now, and um, we've seen lots and lots of fruit in multiple countries for many years through young people, teenagers, university students, just out of, they define youth in Eastern Europe a little different than we do here in the States. Like you can be part of youth group until you're 30. That took a little while to get used to. When church over here says, we're having youth group tonight, can you come and speak or come help out with that? And you show up and half the group is like between 25 and 30. But then there's teenagers there too, like 14-year-olds. So they're doing like 14 to 30. Um, So yeah, it's different. But, um, But a lot of fruit, again, because Jesus has called us to this life together, doing it together. Something I wanted to ask you, why, why are we talking about these things tonight? Are we talking about these things just because it's a great church growth strategy? Or because it's the next cool thing? Or like, why, what would you say to that? University student comes up to you, doesn't know anything about your church, says, man, you guys do, what's this weird missional community thing? Sounds cultish. (laughs) 
What's your, what would your response be to the why? Good. Okay. Good answer. Yep. Yep. So my quick response to that, I always go, I always come back to Luke 5. To me, that's my go-to passage. Luke 5. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, In those first verses in Luke 5, Jesus calls the disciples to follow him, to lay down his nets. So that's like the first big, come and be my disciple. So the first call is um, Jesus calls his disciples to make him the center of everything. Okay? Fishing was okay, but now you're going to fish for men. Okay? He tells them. So, so the first call, he says, come and make me the center of your life. The second call then is in verse 10 of Luke 5, where he says, again, the goal though, guys, is for us to fish for men, fish for lost people. Look for the broken, the hurting. Um, we're going to fish for those kinds of people. And then what we see, he doesn't say this directly, but it's, it's assumed, I would say, in how the whole thing happens. And then what we see play out in the rest of the New Testament is that we're going to fish with me at the center. So we're going to fish with Jesus at the center, but we're going to do it together. We're not going to be individual fishermen we're going to be a team, a family of fishermen, and we're going to go on mission. We're going to fish for men together. And I think that's what a lot of churches lose is that together part of it. So they encourage people to do evangelism. You get all the good evangelism training, and then you're supposed to go into your dorm or go into your workplace or go into your neighborhood and do it. Do it. <laughs> Evangelize. And it's tiring. And it's discouraging when you do it alone. And usually we're not very effective when we do it alone. Because as amazing as all of you probably are, if I were to get to know you, you're limited. And I'm limited. My wife's limited. We're all limited. And we need each other. You have gifts and you have personality, but those gifts and personality are limited. And so you can have this neighbor next door to you or in your dorm or wherever, coworker, and your ability to love them is limited. As hard as you try, it's still limited because there's only one of you. <laughs> your capacity is limited. Your gifting is limited. Personality is limited. Your story is limited. So it's not a bad thing. It's just how God's designed it all. We're supposed to do it in community, together. So we need each other to work together to fish. We're going to catch a lot of fish. I hope that's part of what we're hoping for (laughs) as the church. We've got to do it together. There's actually a statistic. They did some research years ago. I found it to be anecdotally true even today. I found it to be anecdotally true across the world universally universally, but the average non-Christian, so think people around Norman, the average non-Christian will need to become friends with, genuine friends, 5.3 Christians before they will become a Christian themselves. 
Very interesting, huh? (laughs) What's in that stat? What? Good. It's not one. It's not two. It's not three. It's actually 5.3. And so, actually, if we had time tonight, I could ask all of you, tell me your story of coming to Jesus. And in most cases, it would actually be more than 5.3. Mine is probably 10 or 12, where I could say, this person influenced me at this time, and this person, and that conversation, and that family, and that, you know what I mean? And it was multiple people having multiple conversations with you that was part of your journey to Jesus. So what's that tell us as a church and with our missional communities? Wow, we've got we've to take that very seriously. So you've got the classmate or the neighbor or the coworker that you love. And you want to see them come to know Jesus. You want to see their life healed, they're struggling in their marriage, struggling in whatever, um, whatever's going on in their life. You want to see them healed. You want to see them restored. One of the first things that should come into your mind is to say, how can I bring my community around them to love them well? Because in most cases, it's going to require my community having multiple conversations with them, eating multiple meals with them, throwing multiple parties with them, looking for tangible ways to serve them. It's going to usually require that as part of their journey to Jesus. But if we're not going into it expecting that, (laughs) you can see why that would be a big problem, right? then we're just having all these one-on-one or one-on-two experiences or conversations with them, and then we wonder why there's not much progress. <coughs> Does that make sense? Let me give an example. Um, two, uh, two weekends ago, my we call them gospel communities. Right now, things are pretty locked down in California, so we're doing a lot of stuff at the park. So our gospel community every other Sunday afternoon is meeting at the park and inviting non-Christians into it, doing some volleyball, some frisbee, the kids are riding scooters, um, people are bringing some food. But um, two Sundays ago, we had like four non-Christian families join uh, four or five Christian families that were there. Okay, our gospel community currently is one younger families with a lot of kids. I think we've got 12, 12 or 13 just in the core. Okay, if some of the non-Christians are there with their kids, we get up, you know, 15, 16, 17 kids. So that's kind of the dynamic of our gospel community right now. But um, what I wanted to say was the single mom comes with her 10-year-old son, and my wife and I, have had a lot of conversations with her, okay? Because that's how the, it's, that relationship started at our kid's school. Normal, that's how a lot of relationships start. At our kid's school, our kid's sports, our kids play a lot of soccer and a lot of volleyball. My wife coaches volleyball. Um, so a lot of our relationships start there. But the single mom comes to the park two weeks ago and she sits down and it was cool because she'd come to a few parties we'd done before and met a few of our people. And so she felt comfortable enough 
to come into that group and to sit down and not talk to us as her first conversation. She came and sat down in the grass. Her son's over playing with our kids, and she sits down beside one of our younger Christians, only been a Christian a few years, and strikes up conversation with them, and then moves over here and has another conversation. And this, this conversation was with a mom who had lost a child not long ago, and um, super sad story. And um, um, she, she told her how Jesus had basically helped them survive, you know, survive the grief of losing this child. Very profound. But what's going on there with this non-Christian single mom? She's being loved well and pursued well and having genuine conversation with a community, not just Todd and Hannah. And we talked to her later, okay? So, we were part of that too. But actually, just in that two and a half hour experience at the park, she experienced actually probably the 5.3. I don't know who the point three was, but uh, you know what I mean? She was loved and pursued well at the park, super normal thing. So it wasn't some big thing we organized. It was just at the park, <laughs> you know, with the kids running around but um, people were loved well. That's what this is. If your missional community feels burdensome or tiring or stressful or discouraging, I often tell leaders, man, you need to step back because something's probably broken in the, in the system because it's not meant to be exhausting. It's meant to be life-giving. And so you have to step back and say, okay, this is not life-giving what, what do we need to adjust? Does that make sense? And so, um, so let me tell you, a couple of you brought some things up while we were out there, which were great. I want to touch on um, a couple of things I talked with Jeremy about beforehand that I want to touch upon. But um, part of that, um, and again, I'm going off what he's told me about your situation here which um, I think he agrees with. But um, part of the reason that a lot of missional communities get tired or discouraged or burned out is because they're not sharing leadership well. In each, of your, in each of your missional communities, you need to have what we call a strong core. I don't know if you use that language. But you need to have people that are sharing the leadership of that life together. Okay? And that's what a missional community is. It's a life together with, with intentionality. It's, it's not more than that. It's a life together um, thinking of each other like family with intentionality. Okay? But to do that, you've got to share responsibility. That's what family does, right? I've got two, two of my kids are 10 and 11-year-old daughters, and they have appropriate responsibility as part of the family. They've got certain chores and certain things they do in the rhythm of our week that helps our family function well. Well, your missional community has to do the same thing. <laughs> even if they're babies, even if they're baby Christians, 
even if they've been a Christian a few months, they can still take appropriate levels of responsibility for helping the family function well. Does that make sense? So something to be aware of, it's something to talk about with the community, and something we're going to get to, it's something you actually have to plan. I'm shocked I talked to so many of the churches I work with, they have good intentions, good desires to make disciples and live on mission. But when I start to peel back a few layers and say, so how are you trying to do that? There's no plan. There's no specific, there's no details to it. It's just like good, good ideas that they hope. <laughs> if they talk about it enough, somehow it's going to, people are going to do it. It's going to happen. doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Anything that works, anything that grows, anything that is fruitful has a plan around it. Does that make sense? If your finances are going to work, you can't fly by the seat of your pants. <laughs> if your kid's education is going to work, you've got to have a plan. If your uh, physical health, if you're going to not become huge, you've got to have a plan. <laughs> How are we going to stay healthy and fit and not become huge? Okay? So you get it, right? Everything that works, everything that's fruitful, everything that's healthy needs some form of a plan, needs some structure to it. It doesn't need a lot of structure, but it needs some. But I find that a lot of churches and a lot of missional communities or different variations of it, again, in different parts of the world, they don't have that. They'll talk about some ideas and then think it's going to become something. I wish it was that easy or I wish life worked that way and our finances just became... We've got lots of money in the bank. Uh, nope, need, needs a plan. So you get that. So, so tying these two things together, you've got the cores that are sharing leadership of a missional community. They are like the parents of the community. Okay? And so they need to create the plan together. So my gospel community in San Diego right now Normal people, we all live about 10 minutes apart. Something else, I don't know how that looks here, but a constant principle we're considering is proximity. Okay, and I'm going to say, I forgot to say this. For us, a core is a minimum, minimum of four people. Minimum, okay? Um, but preferably, you know, preferably eight people. So somewhere in between, you know, growing towards that, becoming that. So you may th think of your missional communities right now and say, yeah, we've got four people that are kind of responsible for it. But are you asking the question, like, who are the next two? Who's the next three? How could they be playing a role in sharing some leadership so we could be stronger at the core, so we could be a stronger family that is able to bring this kind of influence to coworkers and neighbors and classmates that is life-giving and not life-sucking? <laughs> okay? 
but it requires a strong core, ideally living in some proximity to each other. And why proximity? Because if you're living close enough together, so ours are 10-minute drive from each other right now, you, we've got certain things that are planned that are part of our monthly rhythm as a missional community that I'm going to show you and talk about. Um, but then, because we live only 10 minutes drive apart, other stuff can happen spontaneously. That really helps. If you're going to be a good family, families do a lot of things spontaneously. My wife and I have a monthly calendar for our kids, school, sports, gospel community, all that stuff. So we've got a monthly plan for our family, but spontaneous stuff gets popped in there all the time, right? That's what families do. Well, if your missional community is scattered all over the city, people are living like 20, 25 minutes apart, that's demotivating, because it's very hard to say, man, we've got an hour after dinner before it gets dark. We could invite such and such to kick a ball, throw a frisbee, let the kids play, whatever it is, at the park. Does that make sense? Spontaneous. Or, man, we made this big, yummy meal. We could drive some of that over to them and bless them. They're coming home from work at 6 Imagine if they didn't have to cook tonight. You think that wouldn't be good news? We're going to show up with hot, yummy, whatever, and bless them. Well, if they're 20, 25 minutes away, you're thinking, uh, probably not. <laughs> I don't want to drive 25 minutes over, 20, 25 minutes back to do that versus 10 minutes, 8 minutes. See the difference? You're just going to be much better family the more you get proximity. So for us, we form our groups not around who likes who or who's the same age as who. We basically say, where's God placed you to live? We think he's placed you there for a purpose. So guess what? You're family in this place, and so you're a community that's going to grow to become like a family, and then you're going to figure out mission together because we believe God's placed you there purposefully. purposefully. I believe you live where you live for a purpose. I believe you work where you work for a purpose. I believe you play where you play for a purpose. And that's to bring his influence to those things with others. Again, not to fish alone at work or fish alone at CrossFit or fish alone at your kid's school, but to fish together with a group of people that are living in that same area with you. Does that make sense? Okay, I've said a lot. Do you hate me? <laughs> what, what, <laughs> good, thanks for being honest. What, um, what are you feeling as you hear those things? Core, strong, four to eight people, proximity, 5.3 any questions about any of those things? What do you say about the people who live in the same area, some of them are 20 minutes away? Like, would you say, find a place to put your equipment in, and they want to go to a place? My friend and I were talking about Houston recently, and how they moved around Houston a lot, and they think they're so far from the way in Houston. 
what's nice is, especially with a, I mean, so this church has been around for a while. You have, you have a number of missional communities scattered around Norman. And so it's nice, yeah, if somebody moves, they would, they would join that community in their area. Because again, it's going to allow them to be better family and to be, so the other, the other reality is when we live closer together, like if I meet this neighbor over here, and want to invite them to something, but somebody is coming from 20 minutes away as part of our missional community, and they meet them like they have nothing in, they have very little in common. They've got the city in common, I guess. Does that make sense? But this person, the, the, where they shop is different, where they, their kids go to school is different, where they go play at the park is different. It's different because they do all that over there, <laughs> and they do the, all that over here. Versus what if the people in our missional communities could say, yeah, I met them and I found out that their neighbors actually work, <laughs> you know, with them, or their kids go to the same school, or the kids play on the same little league team. That kind of stuff happens. Does that make sense? There's natural overlap of relationship, which allows for more of this to happen naturally because you're living, you're living in the same area. So, but we've had lots of situations. This is a cool thing that can happen is that, say, this person has been part of a missional community for a couple of years. They've had the experience. Um, they've helped, you know, helped lead it to some extent. They move to another part of the city, and it's like, we don't have anything over here, do we? Man, it'd be great if a missional community started over here. Can you help us? get a new missional community planted over here. And so for a season, they, even if they move 20, 25 minutes away, they will continue to be, it's, it's more work. They will continue to be part of this missional community, but towards the end goal of this community, helping them plant a new missional community in another part of the city. Does that make sense? We've seen a lot of missional communities get started that way, where somebody was part of one, then got then moved for different reasons, and their current missional community over the next six to nine months helped them figure out helped them figure out how to get a new missional community started over there. I mean that's really how you move into new parts of a city and new cities even. We've had that happen. So great. Great question. What else? What are some specific things you're looking in people's environment or the church having been part of Good. Good. Um, so there's something I can I'll use this. So we got the proximity thing. Think about your think about your missional communities. Think about three layers of relationships. You've got your core I don't know if this is the best name, but <laughs> it's what I say. Um, these are the babies. So you've got that layer of younger or baby Christian. They're not ready to be, and, that, and that's normal. It, we, we're all there at one point, okay? So it's not a bad thing. It's just the reality of a problem. Of, appropriately naming who's, who's where, okay? And then we've got the, um, 
we've got the non-Christians that we believe God has called us to. So this defines a missional community. It's all of those relationships. It's not just these. It's all three of those rings. Okay? And so it's just healthy as a missional community to define who's where, who's where in there. It helps you better care for each of the people represented here. Okay? Because we're going to have to care for the babies differently than we care for the non-Christians. We're going to have to care for the core differently than we care for the babies. Okay? We can't care for them the same. I've got a five-year-old little son. I can't care for him the same way I do with my 16-year-old son. It's night and day. Baby, you know, way more mature. I've got to care for this. So I have to be thoughtful, prayerful about how I'm leading them, how I'm loving them. Does that make sense? And yeah. Good. A missional community multiplies not just based on raw numbers, though sometimes you might almost be forced to if you've got 25 people and nobody's got space to host 25 adults and 10 kids. It's like, you can't. It's not manageable. Nobody, nobody can do it. It's not manageable. It's, not, it's also not wise. It's not effective to try to do something like that. So, but you've got to come back to this and say, ideally, you want to multiply when you hit the 8, 9, 10 range because then you can multiply... Multiply that core into two cores of four or five. And then with the babies, however many there are, let's just say there's eight of those connected with this core, you know, you're going to say, where are the natural relationships? Where do they live physically? Let's take all those things into consideration. And we're going to send three of them here and five of them here. Does that make sense? And so, um, so from what Jeremy told me, <laughs> that's something that sounds like it needs to happen here sooner than later. He said you've got a lot of big missional communities. Okay? We can't be, if you're, if you're too big, you can't be good family. You can't love and care and you can't be good family and you can't be effective on mission because you're just trying to manage the 18, 20 plus kids. You're just trying to <laughs> manage that chaos. Okay? You got to break it down into smaller, manageable pieces. But part of the beauty of that, again, when we come back to the shared leadership thing, this is come back to your question too, Jay, is that... Um, People are ready to share responsibility as leaders much sooner than we usually give them credit for. Does that make sense? I hear churches all the time say, oh, we don't have enough leaders. 
It's like, are you sure? You've got people that have been followers of Jesus for a couple years. They've got the Holy Spirit in them. If they're not ready to help lead, take some responsibility for the family, like there's some other problem going on. (laughs) You know what I mean? They don't have to be a superstar to help lead, take a piece of responsibility for the family. My 10-year-old daughter, she's good. we've got appropriate expectations for her, but she, she does what we ask her to do very well, appropriate for a 10-year-old. Does that make sense? So you need to look at your missional communities and say, who are the 10-year-olds? And how do we pull them into, how do we pull them into the core to start to take some responsibility? Maybe they're going to do, they're going to, they're going to be part of other stuff the community is doing, but maybe you're going to say, we want to do something at the park once a month. Can you help pull that together? You just need to organize it a bit, communicate about it a bit, make sure it happens. That's your one, <laughs> that's your one big thing for the family right now you know, is an appropriate level of responsibility for that two-year-old Christian. Does that make sense? So we've, we've got to do a lot more of that. We've got a lot more leaders, people that can help lead a family living life like this than we give ourselves credit for, give them credit for. They're there, Okay. Are they mature leaders? No. Are they baby leaders? Yes. They've got the ability to help with some things appropriate to their age, stage, maturity. So we've got to pull it. Because if we don't, that's why we've got, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking for me because I work with churches all over the place and I hear these stories all the time. You've got people sitting that have been sitting attending churches for like 10 years they just show up on sunday heartbreaking think it 10 years somebody's been a christ follower and the expectation on their lives is to show up to sunday morning and sunday school that should break our hearts okay at the three-year mark, Jesus handed, Jesus handed off the future of the church to this band of misfits. And these guys weren't superstars. <laughs> they were very normal guys, okay? No high education, no high training, none, you know? But they were faithful and they were hungry to love Jesus and to love others. And after three years, he handed off the future of the church to him. We've got people sitting in church for 10 years, 15 years, and expectations are so low. It's like, so I think, so I've got a young couple that's part of our core of our gospel community right now. They're, they're, babies in a lot of senses. They came from very broken backgrounds. Their families were a mess. There was a lot of stuff not, they weren't parented well. There was a lot of stuff that 
wasn't modeled for them. In fact, the opposite was sexually, yeah, a lot of bad parenting, a lot of bad modeling. But they've been part of a community like this for a couple of years, and in many ways they are more mature despite their backstory. They are more mature after two years than many Christians I see that have been Christians 10, 15, 20 years. And you're like, how does that happen? Nothing special. They're just regularly living life with a community like this. But we, we pulled them into the leadership and they take re- appropriate responsibility. Does that make sense? But they're, they're maturing because of it. Not like, man, we need to give them another five years. Then they might be ready to host the potluck. You know what I mean? It's kind of how it goes a lot of times. It's like, no, they're faithful, they're hungry, they love Jesus trying to love their neighbors. What else, what other qualification (laughs) do we need for leadership? Can they tick all the Iwana boxes? Probably not. Probably get half the Iwana answers wrong. But man, can they love people? So they were one of the ones when Michelle, the single mom, showed up at the park two weeks ago. Guess what they did? They were one of the first. Oh, Non-Christian Michelle is here. Appropriate thing to do is to engage Michelle, love Michelle, love Michelle's son. That's what Christians do. They love. They love well. At the park, in the neighborhood, at work, they love well. So, um, yep. So, Jeremy's saying, what about these people that are coming into the church through different avenues rather than a missional community, missional community experience? Um, I always talk about it in this way. There's definitely, there's definitely a teaching component. A lot of, not, a lot of Christians... Um, unfortunately, a lot of churches have a very limited understanding of what I would say is a full gospel. They kind of know the four spiritual lives as the gospel, which is true. That is part of it. But the gospel speaks into all of life. The work, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus has implications on every little detail of our lives. Most Christians, the gospel is purely about sin, salvation, and then it kind of stops there. 
rather than saying, no, this is supposed to affect how you parent. So when my 16-year-old son irritates his three younger sisters, which he does fairly often, big, good big brother, he's actually an awesome big brother, but he has his moments, we can either shame him, guilt him, hammer him, or we can parent him in light of the gospel and say, Elijah, what do you think? You think there was a better way to speak to your sisters in that moment? You think that was the best, uh, best choice you made, you know, just now? How could you have served your sisters rather than what you did? Does that make sense? That's the gospel in all of life. At work, when your coworker ticks you off or your boss says something to kind of put you down, how's the gospel speak to that? Your identity doesn't come from your boss. He means nothing in the grand scheme of things. Your coworker, your identity is completely because you're an adopted son, you're an adopted daughter of the creator of the universe. Okay, big, your coworker, little. <laughs> big, your boss, little. Okay, but we flip those. Most people flip those because they're not approaching the t- details of their lives informed by the gospel. So that's the kind of stuff that needs to be taught and talked about. That's the teaching aspect of it. As Jeremy said, like with this young couple that's part of my gospel community right now, um, so much of their growth is coming simply from watching. She, the, the, the wife, she's in her late 20s. She's pregnant with their second child. They've got a two-year-old little girl right now. Again, broken backstory. Um, she... We occasionally invite them or sometimes just her if her husband's working over for dinner because we're family. He's working. What would good family do? Invite Amanda over so she doesn't have to eat cold sandwiches or whatever she would do, you know. So, but she loves just sitting around the table and she's told us, she said, I will come every time you invite me because I like just sitting watching you guys parent, watching you guys talk as husband and wife, because she doesn't know what healthy marital communication is supposed to look like, because her parents fought, and then her dad left. That's her model, okay? So she's coming into this meal, normal meal, on a Tuesday night, where, you know, we're scrambling, because we just got back from soccer practice. She's loving it. Feels like chaos to my wife and I, you know, we just got back from soccer practice. We're trying to throw a meal together. But Amanda's sitting there loving it because she's seeing how we love our kids around the table, how we love each other around the table, how we love her as the guest at our table. Man, we got to do a lot of that. Powerful in the modeling, okay? And then experience connected with that. How are people going to learn to love people? By loving people not by talking about loving people. It's a problem with a lot of our churches. Talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about certain things with so little actual experience of it. 
So the way our people are going to grow up into these things is by actually being at a park with Michelle, the single mom. We're inviting coworker Stephen over to a game night and loving that coworker while we're doing a simple thing like having fun playing games. Does that make sense? People learn to love by loving, not by talking about loving. And so we have to say, are we creating a life together that is so experiential that most of what people need to learn, they're going to learn through the experience? One of the things I always talk about with churches is that Jesus spent, 20%, Jesus spent 80% of his time here, What do you think about that? That blows most pastors' minds. But it's true. Study the Gospels in terms of percentages. This is what Jesus did. 20% of the time might have been teaching, Sermon on the Mount, at the lake. So there was a teaching, important teaching components to it but it was only 20%. So we have to say, even with our missional communities, do we see them primarily as a formal teaching environment or as a primarily experiential, loving environment? 80% of the time, we're going to be focused on loving, serving, blessing, demonstrating hospitality with each other. So that's a good challenge for you, is to say, Based on what we're currently doing, how does this play out, the 80-20? And how can we get back to a healthier place where it's largely experiential and the formal teaching part of it has its proper proportion? Okay? And then we've got to pray. I, I mentioned this outside. You know, we can, yeah we got to pray. <laughs> we got to pray for our people and pray specific things for our people, not only for them, but with them. I don't know if you guys do DNA. DNA is something we do with three to five men and three to five women. Right now, my gospel community has one of these for men and two of them for women because of the number of men and women we have. But um, we do this two times a month, and we rotate so that we don't have any child care issues. So the first and third Wednesday nights, the women are out meeting in DNA, the men are home watching the kids, putting the kids down, being good dads. Second and fourth, ladies are home taking care of the kids, putting the kids down, being good moms, men are out meeting DNA. So much, so much important stuff happens in these I tell churches this can't be an optional thing. It's got to be. It's got to be part of what you're doing because stuff happens here that can't happen in a missional community, obviously. There's so much I talk about with my guys that we talk about together that we never would with women. Couldn't, shouldn't with women present. Same way, my wife gets together with her ladies. Tons of stuff they talk about they would never talk about with men present, which they shouldn't. 
okay? So if we don't have this, where is that stuff going to happen? You think it's just going to happen? It doesn't just happen, unfortunately. You know, there's no place for it to happen. It's not going to happen in here on a Sunday, right? Not going to happen here. Too big, people everywhere. It's not going to happen in missional community, men and women, kids. It's not going to happen there. A lot of the deep conversations, hard conversations. Got a guy recently made a very bad sexual choice. Where are we going to talk about that? How are we going to set healthy boundaries for him? How are we going to maintain accountability with him going forward if we don't have this as a regular possibility? Wouldn't happen. And so unfortunately in most churches, it doesn't happen. So stuff's happening all the time, hard stuff, marital stuff, sexual stuff, financial stuff, substance stuff. It's happening all the time. There's no place to work with it, speak truth into it, speak gospel into it. There's no place for it to happen. might get touched upon on a Sunday morning might get touched upon in your missional community, but doesn't get deeply worked with to bring healing and to bring um, um, repentance and fruit. So that's why stuff people struggle with certain things for years and years. And it's an ongoing chronic sin and struggle because there's no place to work with it regularly. Does that make sense? So, somebody had a question. Good. So again, a DNA flows out of your missional community. So it's not, I have my missional community here, and then I do DNA with somebody way over there. And why is that? Because you need to be, you need to be having the conversations you're having based on the life that you're living together. If you two have something going on in your marriage, and we talk, but DNA isn't connected with the missional community, you talk about it over here, and then I don't get to see you working it out in your marriage ever. That's the problem with so much counseling. I'm not against professional counseling or pastoral counseling, but I think it's not usually done as it should be or as it could be. So a lot of times we will not actually, even if somebody wants to meet with Jeremy, the pastor, official guy, we would not do that one-on-one -on -one with him, with somebody from our missional community. We would say we want their DNA to go meet with Jeremy together. Why? Because whatever Jeremy says to you about how you're treating her, we want those guys to keep you accountable to it afterwards. And they're going to be able to watch you because you're living life together. So when you go to the park next week, they're going to see, did he 
you know, is he speaking to her better? Is he, you know, parenting better? Is he whatever? Does that make sense? So often the counseling, pastoral advice is disconnected from life. And so they come in and they, well, the other thing is this person comes in one-on-one, talks to Jeremy. They can tell whatever version of the story they want versus what happens if he comes with his DNA? (laughs) They're going to tell the real version, okay? It's like, yeah, it didn't quite happen that way. It's like, here's really what's going on there. And then secondly, whatever Jeremy, if it was just one-on-one, Jeremy says, I think you need to consider these three action steps. Who, who, who knows? Jeremy and that person. So this person goes off and does nothing in response to it. Jeremy's super busy with other things. He might check in. You know what I mean? You see the difference? So we would say group counseling or shepherding is the, uh, is the better way. But to your question, um, yeah, you're usually, you're going to have both of these in your DNA, some core, some core and some babies often. Not a, um, some of it is going to depend on the season. Um, like right now, actually, Like right now, actually, the guys who are in my DNA, I've got three other guys, but they're all core. But it's because we have no other guys. Because unfortunately, all the other people around are broken marriages. Does that make sense? So it's unfortunate, but... Um, the other thing, my, uh, this has happened more with my wife through the years, but sometimes she will have two DNAs running at the same time, one of them with babies. So she'll have like three or four baby Christians, and she just knows this is all about them. <laughs> you know what I mean? In this season, for the next six months, whatever, this is, she's just heavy outpouring into these young baby Christians, but then she'll supplement that by meeting with a few other um, stronger, more mature, core-type women from another missional community um, for her benefit. Does that make sense? But then you, need to, you just need to figure out frequency, what you've, got, what you've got capacity for in your schedule. So... Yeah, seen some different, some different uh, variations of that. We've got, yeah, a few churches that I work with that have also, they wouldn't call it a DNA, but they've actually invited non-Christians into a DNA-type relationship. Primarily, it's like they're very hungry, they're cured, they're um, clearly seeking. And so this is going to be like a discovery, you know, like a discovery conversation discussion with them. Um, and they've seen a lot of fruit from it. Um, it's, it's been a significant piece in the lives of those non-Christians um, coming to Jesus. So, so again, be creative, flexible. It's Norman, but... You've got to look at your missional community and say, we've got a missional community full of singles. They're college students. They're singles. It's a unique season. They've got unique schedules. 
They don't like getting up in the morning. They love staying up till 1 a.m. So we're going to organize a bunch of stuff at 10 p.m. My wife and I wouldn't be doing that, okay? So um, you've got the other side, people with a lot of small children. You've got to say, what do we as a missional community, who do we feel called to? So that's part of, part of what we call mission, mission focus. So who specifically are the people we believe our missional community is called to? How do we feel called to them, okay? We're, we're going to do things at the park with them. We're going to throw some regular meals with them. We're going to have some parties sprinkled in there. That's how we're going to pursue these non-Christians. So that's kind of the calling side of it. And then you say, what do we have capacity for in the season? And so you need to be asking that question actually every few months, and making little adjustments, not getting locked into something and then getting frustrated because you can't do it. Well, your capacity changed. A year ago, the other three core couples, part of my gospel community, all had babies. What do you think we did? You think we just kept hammering? (laughs) As if we didn't, that'd be silly. That's not good family. It's like, ladies, what do you have capacity for right now? And they said, yeah, we need to scale back. We're still going to, we're not going to stop. We don't have no, you know, it's not that. We've got less capacity, but we want to continue to do some things until we're getting better sleep (laughs) and more strength and this new adjustment. One of them, that was their third. One of them, that was their second. One of them, that was their first. I'm not sure which is harder. (laughs) I think zero to one, I, I tell people, is actually the hardest. Then you go from complete freedom <laughs> to needing to think about all the stuff you need to take everywhere. <laughs> um, so I think zero to one is the hardest. But um, you get the idea that your missional community regularly is saying, who do we feel called to? How do we feel called to love and serve them? And what do we have capacity for? And then what, Jeremy, um, I really wanted to... So this is, this is not theory here. This is actually the current 30-day plan for our gospel community. How did we arrive at that? We didn't sit down and I didn't hand this to them and say, here's what we're doing, guys. We sat down for two to three hours and I asked them those questions that I just mentioned. What do you guys feel called to? What do you like to do? So we've got a very busy doctor at a large hospital in San Diego. They've got three kids under six. Wife's a nurse practitioner part-time. He's a very busy doctor. Just got a promotion. He's over a whole group of doctors. In that meeting, he said, you know, family meal nights, still good. DNA twice a month, still good. And I think my wife and I have capacity to host a Friday night game night. That all came from him. That wasn't Todd suggesting anything. (laughs) It's like, Stephen, what do you feel called to? Who do you feel called to? How do you see that working out? What do you have capacity for? It's just asking those questions. Stephen offered that. Then we went to the next couple. How about you guys? What are you guys feeling? What do you like to do? And they said, man... The husband said, I love to cook breakfast for people. 
It's like, okay, that's awesome. Pancakes, sausage, eggs. Loves cooking big, yummy breakfast for people. So we said, well, how could we do that? When could we do that? Where could we do that? And he said, I think we could do it on a Saturday morning, once a month, at our place. Invite our non-Christians into it. Saturday morning brunch. Beautiful. So they take responsibility for the game night. They take responsibility for the Saturday morning brunch. My wife and I said, um, we will either host a movie night, park night, or beach night once a month. And so... That sliver, sliver, sliver of beach by the river. <laughs> but um, so my wife and I take regular responsibility for that piece of it. But do you see how it's shared? So it's not any big burden. We've all got a lot of kids. We've got busy life. We've got all that going on. But it's life-giving. We love spending time with these people. We love being on mission with these people. And... Jay laughed, but um, this going back, he said it out there actually when we were outside about the busyness piece. People are busy with the things that are important to them. They're not busy just trying to survive. That might be true with a percentage of people, other parts of the world. It's not true for most Americans. Definitely not true probably for most people in Norman, Oklahoma. Okay, People are filling their time with things they like to do, not things they have to do, okay? So the point, the point in all that is people have time. People have time. But even apart from that, sometimes I tell churches just to kind of prove the point, it's like, let's just approach, let's just say we're incredibly selfish and self-centered. Tell me what life would look like if you were an extremely self-centered person, what would you try to fill your life with? What would that look like? Huh? Netflix. Okay. A lot of TV. Things that make you better or satisfy your own desires. Okay. Okay. Fun things, satisfying things, relational things. So I often tongue-in-cheek, say, man, I would fill it with yummy food, meals with people, rich relationship, sports, recreation at the park, and movie nights, playing games with people. Like, doesn't that sound like rich life? It's like, oh, I thought that's what we're talking about here, just doing that as a missional community. So it actually, you know, if you were to take the missional purpose out of what I just showed you there, isn't that like an awesome, selfish, hedonistic life? <laughs> Tongue in cheek. You get what I'm saying? Like, it's good stuff. It's life-giving stuff. That's how God designed it. That's what's so cool about it. Do the things you like to do in the ways you like to do them with people in community but then you get to do it with a kingdom purpose. When we went to the park two Sunday afternoons ago, I would have went to the park anyway. That's what we do with our kids. 
Our kids like to ride scooters, ride their bikes, play volleyball, throw a Frisbee. That's what we would do on a normal Sunday afternoon anyway. But we got to do it with four other Christian families and four non-Christian families. Didn't, it wasn't anything additional to our schedule. Does that make sense? It was just the park and the movie nights, like we watch movies with our kids. So we set up a screen in our driveway and throw down a blanket, pop some popcorn, make a fire at the other end of the driveway in our portable fire pit and invite neighbors and our gospel community to watch the movie together and eat popcorn. Can't we, like be, can't we do that <laughs> like all the time and have it not be like, oh, we got to do that. We got to watch another movie. We got to go to the park again. So something's wrong in our heart or something's wrong in our thinking if living life like this feels tedious. Does that make sense? Because these are like fun, enjoyable, relational, life-giving things. Snapshot, three hours, family meal night. Yep. Family meal nights for us, um, three hours, first 90 minutes is the meal. Enjoying each other, enjoying each other's kids, enjoying the food, catching up on people's stories. If we have non-Christians there, being purposeful about engaging them, getting to know their stories. So that's the first 90 minutes, not hurrying through the meal. We learned a few lessons through the years. Be smart about the food. If you've got a bunch of small kids, you do not do spaghetti. Okay? We did that one Sunday night. It was the biggest mistake ever, probably, in the history of our missional community. All these small kids, they were, it was some years ago, so they were all like 14 of them probably that night, under 10. And we're trying to get spaghetti in them. Well, spaghetti was everywhere but in them. Okay? And so just the feeding of them and the cleaning up of it, like we were exhausted. And so you got to be thoughtful. Okay? So enjoy the meal, enjoy the food, but also be thoughtful <laughs> about how you do it so it doesn't, yeah, doesn't kill you, doesn't exhaust you. But then the next 90 minutes, we are doing. Um, a variety of things depending on what the missional, what we feel like the missional community needs that night. So sometimes, um, you know, our tendency, again, just because of our history, is to say, oh, it's, you've got to study the Bible. It doesn't count. It doesn't count if you don't study the Bible, okay? We're going to go home and it won't count because <laughs> we didn't study the Bible, okay? Do we study the Bible? Absolutely. So, the Bible is central to us, so we believe in studying it personally. It gets taught for 40 minutes every Sunday morning. It gets worked out in the DNAs two times a month. And then I would say, I would say 33, 33% of the time, we do some form of it on our family meal nights. But you're saying, what about the other 66 of the time, okay? A lot of times that is (sighs) Caitlin 
girl in our gospel community. Um, she's been, she'd probably say she's been a Christian for about a year now. She kind of grew up in the church, but you know those stories. Um, wasn't serious. Married a non-Christian. Was away from the church for a decade. Came back about a year ago. But just a few months ago, found out her husband had a second affair. And there was more history to it. Yeah, it was a mess. And so we find that out right before that Sunday night meal night. What do you think is appropriate? Doesn't matter what I had planned. Nothing is more important in that moment than loving Caitlin well. Listening to Caitlin, encouraging Caitlin, praying for Caitlin. Nothing's more important. So we spent the next hour doing that, reminding her of her identity, reminding her that this whole thing was not her fault. We had uh, six weeks, I don't know, before that, we had a single mom, another one show up to our gospel community. First time, like it was crazy even how she found us. She found us online. So we even encouraged her that night at the end of the night is like, just so you know, it's crazy that you showed up tonight. (laughs) Like who does that? You found us online. We could have been a cult. You know, we had church in the name, but... You came into our house. It's like, what are you doing? You know, so we kind of had fun with her at the end of the night. But um, she's coming into this situation literally probably the first time she's ever been with Christians or at least a normal group of Christians in her life. So what's appropriate for Christine that night? I was like, tonight's about Christine. Okay? First exposure to Christians first time in the home of Christians, especially doing something like this, first time. What are we going to do? We're going to love Chris. We're going to love Christine well. How are we going to do that? I was like, first time, she's not going to want to answer a bunch of questions, right? She's not going to want to be put on the spot, which we have a tendency to do. Oh, Christine, tell us all about your life. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, she's not going to want to do that. What's going to be appropriate? So I said, we've got these two other couples. One of them just had their first baby, and so I'm going to ask him, like, how, how's that going, guys? Okay? Just had a baby. Tell us how it's going. What are you learning? And so they um, basically say, man, awesome new baby. And man, are we selfish. 2 a.m. in the morning, baby's crying. Baby needs fed. Neither of us want to get up. We're elbowing each other, saying, are you going to get up? Are you going to get up? We get mad at each other. We get mad at the baby. It's like, who gets mad at a baby, you know? So they're just very honestly describing their journey with this new baby, but it was beautiful. And then at the end, and again, these aren't very mature Christians, though they are by what they did here. They basically said, but you know what? In all of it, here's what we're learning. Here's how we're learning to love each other and submit to each other and sacrifice for each other. (laughs) You couldn't ask for a better gospel presentation than, than that. Coming out of this young couple that just had their first baby. Totally raw, totally honest. So you can, what do you think is going on in Christine's mind? You've got to be blown away. It's like, who 
does this? Who sits around and talks about life like this and then connects it to God? And like, who does that? So that was about a, you know, 15-minute thing. And then this other couple had just gotten married. They got married in their early 30s. Um, and so he said, man, Chris and Elaine, how's the marriage thing going? You guys been married a few months now. How's it going? What are you learning? They said, man, beautiful, love being married, and found out we're very selfish. We had so many things locked in that were our little preferences, you know, and so it's creating all kinds of irritation. And so they were just honest, and we had fun with it, and then sure enough, and again, these guys are not very, you know, old Christians, but they said, but here's what we're learning. And I I didn't set them up. I didn't. That was all God through them speaking to us and speaking to Christine. They said, here's Here's what we're learning, man. We got to, you know, marriage is about servanthood. It's about dying to self, letting go of all our, you know, little preferences we've built over the last decade. And uh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. So now Christine's heard two very normal couples talk about very normal life, be very honest about life bring it back to the gospel. And so I took it from there and basically just said a little bit more about grace, what grace looks like in our relationships, what grace looks like even towards ourselves personally. And um, like for Christine, the non... So not only was it powerful for Christine, the non-Christian, but you, I know you guys talk about gospel fluency around here. Just so you know, that's what it is. <laughs> I don't know what you, from reading the book, or talking about it. It's not something other than what I just described. It's marriage and it's parenting and it's conflict and it's, it's life and it's learning to articulate normal life and connecting it with the truth about God. That's gospel fluency, where it's coming out in normal things, normal conversations. So it came out of Chris and Willane, and it came out of Ramiro and Amanda that night. Does that make sense? That's gospel fluency. So a lot of nights we'll just do story kind of stuff, but purposeful. Does that make sense? We need to do it with Caitlin that night. We've done it other times where a non-Christian would show up who we've got a little more relationship with, and we will ask them a bunch of questions. Like, man, it's been great having you be part of our community the last three months. We'd love to hear more of your story. Would you be willing to, you know, tell us, tell us more of your story? And they usually love to. So, but in the midst of it all, it's all helping your people grow up and becoming more gospel fluent. Again, you can read the books. You can have the discussions about it. But the, most formative stuff is the modeling of it. So when Ramiro and Amanda did that, our whole gospel community learned, grew that night. Does that make sense? 
Everybody sitting there saw what it looks like to tell a vulnerable part of your story and infuse it with gospel truth. It was modeled, and we experienced it as a community. So guess what? Oh, and when we had that conversation I told you with Caitlin, who unfortunately, that second affair led to her getting divorced just three weeks ago, officially. Um, that night that we had that conversation with her, again, powerful, powerful modeling and experience there. So imagine how better prepared the whole community is now for next time when their sibling has a similar situation with an affair, coworker, neighbor, classmate. Think of how the gospel, the whole gospel community is better prepared to know how to ask questions about it, listen well about it, speak truth related to it, and then pray appropriately for people in the midst of deep hurt and pain and grief. You can't read a book about that stuff. The most formative stuff for your people and your communities is going to be when you actually do it. You do these things. You experience these things with broken people. And sometimes that brokenness is our brokenness. But some of the brokenness will be the lost people we're on. You know, we're on mission to. So, we got to wrap. Okay. But if you if you've got kiddos, I've got two. I've just got two sh- two final thoughts related, connected to everything we've been talking about. One of them is a question: When you look at that thirty day plan, is there anything shocking in there? Or what I tell? So what I usually do, like I've been, I told you about the leaders that I work with around the world. I was talking with a church in Pretoria, South Africa, just a few days ago. And I said, this is my gospel community in a unique context in San Diego based on a unique group of people. You need to create the Pretoria version of it based on your unique context and based on your people. What's the Pretoria version? I was with these Russian leaders recently. I said, you got to create the Russian version of it. There's just principles guiding that. But what could that look like in a specific, sustainable way in the different parts of Russia where you come from. Talking with the church in Stockholm, Sweden recently, same thing. Super busy people. Because it's so expensive to live there, huh, got to be a two-income family, pretty much, to survive. So everybody's working long hours, and they try to have some kids on the side. Okay? Stockholm, Sweden. So I said, man, I, I'm, I can't answer. I can give you principles and I can give you, well, we live in a pretty busy city too. <laughs> San Diego's plenty busy. Um, but I said, you've got to create the Stockholm version of this. You've got to sit down with your people and you talk and you pray 
and you say again, what do we feel called to in Stockholm? What do we have capacity for in the midst of all the crazy busyness? And so they are, though. They are. They, they weren't discouraged by that challenge. They said, okay, we'll do that. And so actually they're making good progress for the first time in figuring out how to live the Stockholm version of that. So I would say, what's the Norman, what's the Norman version of that? Or even what's the OU? I was telling Jeremy, we were talking with Shane, I think, who's part of your church. I said, I would love to see a campus version of that on paper just to see what's, what could be possible for a group of university students that are going to be intentional and in planning their campus life um, with that kind of intentionality. So somebody was going to say something, though. Sure. Sure. Yep. Good. Good. Honestly, people have more time than they think they have. <laughs> and you will find time for the things that are important to you. So it's there. The time is. It's just an allocation of time. It's just prioritizing of time. It's just an intentionality with your time. So, yeah, my wife's parents live in San Diego. So we do quite a bit with them at other times. Sometimes we actually invite them into our missional communities. They're, not, they're part of a different missional community, but they're, they're blood family. So we will invite them into certain things just to get more time with them, but we do other stuff. And then we've got other friends in other places, and it all works. Um, I was telling Jeremy this afternoon... Part of the key is if you can establish something, again, the Norman version of this for your missional community on paper, then you've got something to work with to organize the rest of your life around. Does that make sense? So when my wife and I make our monthly family calendar for our kids, these things are on there as we are scheduling all the other stuff into it. Does that make sense? So it's just, it's just integrating. It's just integrating it all. But if you plan all the other stuff first without this, guess what happens? <laughs> Most of this never happens. It's just the reality. Because it's, it's easy to pack our lives with stuff um, and then say, yeah, I've got one little crack over here to do a little something with the missional community. But if your missional community functions like that, you won't be, you won't be fruitful because um, there's no um, certain relational depth just requires time with Christians and non-Christians. If you're going to be a good family, it requires time. If you're going to influence non-Christians, it requires time. But again, remember how we talked about that time. It's intentionalizing the things we already like to do. There's nothing on there that anybody in our gospel community doesn't like to do. That's how we came up with it. What are the things we like to do and can do integrated with non-Christians? Movie nights, 
game nights, park nights, beach nights, meal nights. Does that make sense? Stuff we, stuff we love to do. Stuff we would be doing with or without purpose. I mean, does that make sense? So, um, but I found that if you can get something on paper like that, tangible, specific for your missional community, then you got something to work with. And again, you adjust it. So you try it the first couple months and you're like, oh man, Friday nights, a, Friday nights is not a good night for people. <laughs> got it? I mean, that's, that's what we, that's how we landed on Sunday nights. It wasn't our first thing. It was like, uh, people don't seem to be as available. They're coming home, they're driving an hour home from work on Friday nights. Even if they do get home 6, 6.30, they're exhausted. They're not going to go out again. So Friday nights, a lot of times, um, it's not going to be one of our primary windows. Does that make sense? But Sunday nights are. Everybody agreed. It's like, oh yeah, people are looking... Even our non-Christian friends are looking to do something fun, relational on Sunday nights. There you go. But does that make sense? That was an adjustment that we figured out fairly quickly. Same, th- same thing with the DNA. We tried to meet more frequently than that. And then we're like, whoa, trying to figure out child care and all that. That's not going to work. What if we rotated every other? Ah, oh, let's try that. Boom. It's been awesome. We used to meet our Sunday night meal nights. We used to do that every Sunday. We tried, we tried that in the beginning, every Sunday. It was like, whoa, this is a little too often. Not that we don't love to be together, but if we're going to do the game nights, the movie nights, we've got to free up some space to be able to do that. So that was just the learning um, and we adjusted. And so now we're in a pretty sweet spot where we're doing things at the right time, the right length of time, the right length of time for our kids. It's like, yeah, that's a good window right there. <laughs> kids aren't tired yet. This will allow us to get us home, feed, get them home, feed them, put them down, you know, just all those, all that learning, adjusting. Yeah. Yep. So if missional communities are tired, what would you say are the top few few causes? Yeah. They lack not enough shared, not enough sharing of the responsibility, the communication, the planning, all of that. So I mean we we text, we email, we're old school. Um we're not cool yet. Um, never will be. Um, so we just text and email regularly, but a lot of it. So that helps too. We don't have to fill our schedule with more planning meetings. You know, like if you look at my just my DNA is texting regularly. Our core is texting regularly. Like anything we need to adjust. How's everybody doing? So we're keeping in on people's personal health 
shepherding? How's your marriage doing? How's that thing at work with your boss? So we're, we're doing all that um, regularly. So part of it would be the core shared leadership reality. Part of it would be the plan where it's like, if you're feeling that tired and that exhausted, we need, we need to adjust. We need to adjust what you're doing or when you're doing it or again, how responsibility for those things is being shared. So you heard me. So even with our family meal nights, like that is a family responsibility. My wife made it. My wife's awesome. She's she's been doing this for a lot of years. She has no problem like just laying it out there. Literally night one, very first night. So our core does not know each other very well at that point. My wife sat down and said, "Just want to be clear. Todd and I are not leading this." We are going to lead this together. We. Night one, first five minutes, we are doing this. So whether we might, because we've got a little bigger space in our home to host, we might use our space a little more often than some people do, but we are not going to be the food providers, the dishwashers for all of this. We are. So somebody in your community might have a little bigger, better space for hosting. That's okay. You can do it more often there. But that doesn't mean it's on them to also be the food providers, the floor sweepers, and the dishwashers. Does that make sense? It's like, come on, everybody. We're family. You're going to stick around, and you're going to help load the dishwasher. You're going to stick around and be good family. And it's really easy to talk about because it honestly is. This isn't just some cute little thing we say about being family. It's a real thing. It's what good family does. It's how good family loves each other. It's how good family serves each other. Does that make sense? So we just say, come on, family. Let's be good family. Let's clean her up. (laughs) Okay? We'd like to, you know, we got to get our kids down too, but Nobody's leaving until we are good family and we take care of this together. So whether it's food prep, food providing, food cleanup, room cleanup, we're, we're sharing it. So those are the big two um, that I would say, that I would say see see most often. I think one other, if I were to say anything else, a lot of missional communities have too big of a vision for who they're on mission to. And so they'll say, man, we're on mission to the neighborhood. Well, your neighborhood has like a few hundred people in it. We're on mission to our kids' school. There's 300 families there. You know what I mean? And so I tell churches that I think you've got to whittle it down to about 12 to 15 people. Max. You look at your big pool of relationships, which is usually in the 40, 50, 60 range, and that's just who God has put you in natural contact with. And then you say, who from those 40, 50, 60, and again, this is for not just you, but for your whole missional community, you would say that. So say 10 of you sit down, Co-workers, classmates, neighbors, CrossFit partners, 
all those people, you could come up with about 40, 50, 60 names. From those 40 to 60, then you say, who do we think is really the good soil? Who are the 12 to 15 from that big pool that are the good soil that we're going to give our best life to together? We're going to do this with. We're going to do this towards together. Does that make sense? So then people are like, oh, okay, we've got some focus here. So then who gets invited to the 4th of July party? Those 12 to 15. And the game night? Those 12 to 15. And the park? The 12 to 15. And the meal night? The 12 to 15. So over the course of a year, because this happens a lot, most times where we have this non-Christian over here, over the course of a year we've spent like two times with them. They came to like two things we did. Well, what do you think is going to happen in that kind of relationship where they've been with you like two, three times? Not much, usually. Versus over the course of a year, they've been with you 10, 12, 15 times at a variety of experiences and had multiple conversations again with a lot of people. Does that make sense? Then you get to the end of the year and go, wow. We're really good friends. <laughs> We're really good friends with that coworker. We're really good friends with that neighbor family. We're really good friends with those three classmates. We're really good friends with them. Well, how'd that happen? Through focus. So a lot of missional communities don't have that, and then they get frustrated and discouraged and burn out because they're doing, you know, it's just a bunch of scattered activity. And it feels like, is this going anywhere? like, what do we have at the end of the year? You know, we spend time with 30 different, 40 different people, but none of it, none of it progressed very far. So pretty much just an issue of focus. Sorry, say that again. If you want to call it that. Yeah, I call them good soil relationships. You feel like something's going on there. That coworker wants to have, <laughs> wants to talk, wants to get together beyond after work, or that neighbor just keeps bringing up, man, we ought to get together. And man, I love that last time you, we came to your party. You know, so it's good soil where God's at work in their lives. And so our responsibility is to give our best life to those relationships. It doesn't mean we're shutting off everybody else completely because God's always, you know, we, we had a family that we spent a lot of time with when we were living in Tacoma and they moved completely across to the other side of the country. Why? Not sure. We had a lot of opportunities and we believe we had a lot of influence um, in them, but God moved them to another place. And so we say, oh, okay, so who else? We've got some space now to bring somebody else into that focus. Who, who's that going to be? So there's people move, you know, people are moving jobs, moving, leaving school all the time. So there's going to be somewhat of an ebb and a flow to your focus. But if you don't try to have some base it's even going to be more chaotic. Does that make sense?
where then you're just chased, like you're chasing after the wind. It's like, ah, oh, we're doing all these scattered things with a bunch of scattered people and not making much progress with any of them. So I've found that I think this is a principle. Unless we become trusted friends with people in most cases, there's not going to be any spiritual, in, there's going to be very little spiritual influence there. I mean, think about you. Who would you go to in the time of crisis? Who would you go to? Two groups of people. Family, unless your family's, you know, strained or trusted friends. So we've got to become those. If we don't become trusted, if we don't become friends of sinners, I think there's something in that when they said Jesus was a friend of sinners. It didn't mean how we think of acquaintance-type friendship. Like, oh, yeah, I know that guy from my, uh, you know, geometry class. Like, that's acquaintance. That's not like, I think friend of sinners is trusted friendship, which results in spiritual influence. So we've got we've to say, how do we as a community become those those trusted friends. So when those people have the divorce or lose their job or have that sickness, cancer comes up, who are they going to go to with the big life questions? They're coming to our community because we know them, they trust us, and we've spent, we've loved them well, um, you know, at different times, at different times in different ways. So again, the shotgun, kind of the shotgun approach to mission. Um, I've just rarely seen it be, rarely seen it be very effective. So, so anyway, wrap it up. I think, again, from what Jeremy told me, a couple big, um, I wouldn't, they're not big changes for you guys, they're, but they're important adjustments. <laughs> like you guys have all of this in different forms, but focusing more on strengthening the core of each of your missional communities. What I just said, helping each of them clarify truly who is their mission focus. So it's not shotgun all over the city. Third, helping them get a specific, sustainable Norman version for their missional community on paper. Because then you're going to, Jeremy and the leadership here is going to be able to coach you and help you a lot more too. If you've got a very clear plan on paper, that's what a coach does then. He coaches you in light of your plan. If you don't have a plan, all you can talk about is reactive, you know, reactive stuff not proactive, here's our plan, how do, we, how do we adjust it next month? And then how do we adjust it the next time? That's what a coach does. That's what Jeremy, um, I think, wants to do, probably is doing, probably needs to do more of. <laughs> so core, mission focus, um, sustainable, specific, Norman, contextualized, plans um, will help you guys take the next, yeah, 
next steps forward. So let me pray that for you because this is a supernatural reality. Um, all of this we're talking about, we need to make some plans. We need to be thoughtful. This is supernatural, though. You don't make any progress with any of this without um, the leading of the Holy Spirit in your daily lives and in your regular relationships. He's the one who changes people's hearts, minds, brings conviction, reveals truth. That's all work that the Bible says is the specific role of the Holy Spirit. And so let me pray that he would help you with these things. Father, I thank you, um, first of all, just that we are your loved sons and daughters. You love us. You cherish us. We, there is nothing that we need to prove um, to earn your love. We, we can do nothing. You love us um, as much as you'll ever love us. So thank you that we get to live this way in light of our adoption, that we get to live freely, without pressure, without stress. We get to just go for it and love people the best we can love them. But we ask that you would help us, that you would lead us to know who that is, so I pray for each of the missional communities um, here that you would um, give them greater clarity about who you've called them to, who you've called them to love and serve and pursue. I pray that you would also help them understand how to strengthen each of the cores, the core leadership of each of their missional communities. So just that there's more strength, there's more capacity, there's more shared leadership of it all so that people are not getting tired, people are not getting discouraged in any way, but that it's truly shared leadership um, and just, just good family. And then um, I pray that you would help them in the details of um, just really con contextualizing, customizing well for this city, for Norman, whether it's in, on the campus, near the campus, far from the campus, in younger neighborhoods or older neighborhoods, with kids, without kids, you would help them to customize um, each missional community to each place that you've called them to. And then as you do that, help them to organize their lives, steward their lives appropriately around those details. So Father, again, thank you that you've called us to this um, um, yeah, exciting way of living, using our gifts, using our loves, things we like to do, but using them with this big kingdom, eternal purpose. So I pay, pray that that would regularly ring in people's minds, that you just want them to be faithful with the loves and the gifts you've given them. So, Father, we need help with all of this. I pray that you would help them, help us back in San Diego, help these other churches. Um, we're going to be with tomorrow up in Oklahoma City and around. Uh, you would similarly help them so that there would be more disciples and more mature disciples made um, that would be littered throughout this state for your glory. 
And again, we need your help. We need your provision, your protection for all of it. So we ask for that. Father, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.